This show is sponsored by Headnote, helping law firms get paid 70% faster with their compliant e-payments and accounts receivables automation platform. Learn how to get paid quicker and more efficiently at headnote.com. Welcome to this episode of the Modern Law Library. I'm Olivia Aguilar from ABA Publishing, and I'll be today's host. In this episode, I speak with Randy Kaiser, the author of American Law Firms in Transition, Trends, Threats, and Strategies. Randy is an international authority on attorney and law firm performance with 20 years of experience as a civil litigation attorney and 15 years as an author, researcher, and educator. He is a principal analyst at Decision Set in Palo Alto, California, and a scholar-in-residence at the Indiana University Marr School of Law. Today, Randy discusses how past errors have led to law firms' instability and how attorneys can implement modern practices to become more effective law firm leaders. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you for the invitation to meet with you. Yes. All right. So can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to write American Law Firms in Transition? Yes. It's been about 50 years since the last comprehensive view of American Law Firms and Lawyers was published. That book was written by Martin Mayer and was called The Lawyers, published in 1966. Martin Mayer was not an attorney, and some people felt that his treatment of lawyers and law firms uh, was a bit harsh. Since at least 50 years have passed since the publication of that book, I thought it was time to take a fresh look at attorneys. I am an attorney myself, and I thought that with my background in economics, uh, statistics, law, and psychology, I might be able to update and provide an objective and balanced view of lawyers. So much has changed since Martin Mayer wrote his book, and in particular, we have much better data on law firm performance. We have extensive research on psychology, and in in particular, the psychology of lawyers, and we also have a dramatic change in the technology that's being used by lawyers and law firms. That's great. All right, so let's start from the beginning. You write that the Great Recession marked a significant turning point for law firms. Can you discuss the impact of the recession on law firms? Looking back on the recent history, we can see that this period from 1990 to 2008 was the golden era of law firms. After the Great Recession, law firms have encountered dramatic and significant challenges both internally and externally. Internally, we see a significant decline in billable hours per attorney and revenue per attorney after adjustments for inflation. On the external side, we see a large expansion of corporate law departments, which uh, functionally take business away from law firms. And we see a whole new group of competitors that are not law firms. And generally, we lump those into the category of alternative legal service providers. We also notice that the employment opportunities for law students graduating from law school are seriously diminished. 
Interesting. So the book discusses how, in the past, uh, law firms' hiring practices tended to promote existing hierarchies and exhibit bias against female attorneys and racial and ethnic minorities. You argue that these employment practices continued to exclude many outstanding attorneys. Can you explain how these practices are detrimental to law firms today? Sure. Let's get an overview of some of our basic problems. Only 18% of law firm equity partners are female attorneys. Lawyers of color represent only 8% of equity partners. This is an embarrassing and abysmal showing for a profession that should be in the forefront of promoting diversity. When we look at the hiring practices of many law firms, we find that they haven't changed too much over the last 30 years. There is still a tremendous emphasis on the law school from which an attorney graduated and its ranking by U.S. News and World Report and an ongoing emphasis on grades. Studies tell us that large law firms hire disproportionately males uh, from a high social status background, and although law schools are graduating an equal percentage of female and male attorneys, when we look at where these folks are after eight to ten years with a law firm, we find that the number of female attorneys, female partners rather, uh, has diminished significantly. And that's why we end up with only 18% of equity partners being females. What we know from the empirical evidence on diversity is that diverse teams are correlated with higher law firm profitability, greater client satisfaction, and superior problem-solving outcomes. So the empirical evidence tells us that for very strong practical reasons, we would want to have a much more diverse workforce in law firms. But when we look at what law firms are actually promoting and how they're compensating people, we see that there's a tremendous room for improvement. Mm -hmm. Do you see that changing in the near future? I think one study indicated that if present trends continued, it would take about 100 years for us to have a ethnically diverse workforce. So we don't seem to be making much progress. And specifically, we're not making much progress, whether we're focusing on the number of female equity partners or the percentage of ethnic minority partners. You also argue that law firm culture is a key factor in uh, profitability and staff retention. How do you think firms can establish a lasting culture that supports both clients and employees? I think first we have to start with an understanding of what culture means. I think every law firm believes it has a culture, but as a threshold matter, we're not quite sure what it means to have a culture in a law firm. I define culture as who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what makes us different from other firms. 
uh, Dan DiPietro at City Private Bank, says culture equals the values, beliefs, and behaviors that partners share in common. So with that definition of culture, I think we then have to look at this distinction between what is the firm's espoused culture and its actual culture. Many firms believe that they have a culture that is quite distinct from how many attorneys view the culture in that firm. So one of our initial problems is making sure that we understand what culture is and whether our view of a firm's culture actually resonates with most of the people in that firm. Once we get a grip on those two issues, we want to focus on how do we define our culture going forward, what values does this firm want to be known for. In the book, I emphasize six elements of culture, which I think are just the beginning of defining, espousing, and promoting a culture within a law firm. Those six elements are shared objectives and values, a commitment to clients, which we also call client primacy, a sense of accountability, and that sense of accountability applies both to clients and it also means that law firm leaders are accountable to the attorneys and employees in the firm. The other elements are trust and collegiality, a belief in continuous learning and improvement, and, and this I think is so often neglected, a sense of social purpose. Mm -hmm. And then, so what are some of the elements that lead to the negative elements of law firm culture that lead to a decline in staff retention? What we find is that law firms are highly competitive environments and that in many law firms there is an unacceptable level of uh, sexism, harassment, and bullying. So in establishing a culture and eliminating the negative aspects, we have to first make sure that the factors that are creating a completely unacceptable culture are detected and eliminated. Uh, recent studies indicate that law firms have a much higher level of bullying, for instance, uh, even at a, an international level than most of us had anticipated. Once we get rid of the strongest negative factors, we then have to take on the enormous task of figuring out how we build a higher sense of trust and collegiality and a sense that the law firm environment is a safe environment for people to openly and candidly uh, express views. Definitely. Before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hey, law firms. Getting paid is fantastic, but dealing with accounts receivable is such a pain. What if there was a better way? In her headnote, an industry-leading compliant e-payments and AR automation system, 
Their unique blend of features cuts through the noise and helps you to get paid 70% faster. Skip the paper checks, spreadsheets, and awkward calls to overdue clients. Get paid faster with less effort. Visit headnote.com for more information. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with our guest, Randy Kaiser. So, Randy, in Chapter 6, you examine six essential qualities in law firms, likability, humility, engagement, realism, openness, and resilience. Uh, You wrap up the chapter by saying that engagement is an important first step. Uh, Could you explain why that is? We're learning a lot about engagement and its importance that we didn't know before. In 2018, Gallup conducted its first survey of engagement for attorneys. What it discovered was quite disturbing. In particular, they found that most attorneys are not engaged. The specific survey results are that 49% of the attorneys state that they are, quote, not engaged, and an additional 8% consider themselves to be actively disengaged. What does actively disengaged mean? That means people who are emotionally disconnected from their work and workplace and jeopardize their team's performance. I think most attorneys would be disturbed to know that we're not meeting fundamental levels of engagement. Engagement sometimes is perceived to mean how focused people are on their work. But as Gallup defines it, it's a much broader measure of workplace integration and satisfaction. It's not just how people feel about their work and the level of attention they are giving that work. It also includes how they feel about the people they are working with, their sense of purpose, whether they feel there is a future in the organization, in which they are working, and how they perceive the continuing education opportunities. As you can see, it's a very, very broad measure of how effectively an organization is integrating, engaging people. And when we look at attorneys, we can see that we need to do much better in terms of providing attorneys with a sense of purpose, achievement, and fulfillment in their work. And then uh, moving on to the next chapter, you write, although systems are often perceived as being dull and uninspired, they actually represent a law firm's view of its attorneys and clients. Why do you think that systems are one of the most often overlooked things by, by firms? I think when we hear the word systems, one of our first reactions is, that's pretty boring. Uh, Systems are regarded as back office functions that generally don't merit an attorney's attention. But when we focus on specific systems within a law firm, we find that they tell us quite a bit about law firms and their values and sense of priorities. I think of systems as being the ultimate level of commitment 
to an idea or a practice. If a law firm does not have a system to advance a particular value, then it's very likely that that value is not going to be advanced within a law firm. The term I use is that systems determine whether an intention evolves into a practice. Let me try to make this more concrete by focusing on some specific systems. I think that if we identify these systems, you can see that each of these systems reflects a firm's values and priorities. The systems that we identify in the book are evaluation systems, and that's primarily client feedback and attorney feedback systems, attorney compensation systems, information management systems, lateral attorney integration systems, succession planning, attorney wellness systems, and pro bono systems. All of these systems have a major effect on the attorneys and employees within a law firm and a major effect on how the law firm itself functions. If we look specifically at attorney compensation systems, we really are seeing a crystallized version of what that law firm regards as important. It may be client origination, it may be pro bono work, it may be community contributions, but you can see that how we measure and weight various performance factors in a compensation system ultimately tells us about what that law firm thinks is most important in attorney performance. Besides implementing those systems, could you touch on some of the other strategies that you uh, discuss in the book for law firms? Yes, we discuss a lot of strategies, and we look in terms of systems, practices, uh, people, which we describe as character and leadership. We also look at the efficacy of strategies that firms are have already employed, and the research tells us that the strategies that are presently being uh, employed by firms, and in particular lateral partners, are not really that effective in increasing profitability. So we look at five categories of functions or systems or practices within a firm and then break those down into about 30 discrete strategies. Great. So in the conclusion of the book, you write that attorneys and the Piraha tribe in the Brazilian rainforest share many practices. Can you explain to our listeners what these two groups have in common? The Piraha tribe is a fascinating group of people. The tribe consists of about 400 to 800 people living in the Amazon River Basin. They have some very unique attitudes and characteristics of their language. But perhaps the strongest characteristic is that they are very strong and obdurate. Missionaries have been attempting to convert the Piraha tribe 
since the 1700s, and they have not been successful in converting a single member of the tribe to Christianity. Although their way of life is threatened, they are convinced that the way they do things is the right way to do things and that they have the highest standard of living. They are very particular about what they will and will not learn. They are completely dependent on canoes, for example, for trade and travel, but they refuse to learn how to build canoes. Their language is also quite fascinating. They only speak in the present tense, and they have no words for number, numbers or accounting. Since they have no words for numbers or accounting, they lack a scientific or an empirical tradition, and they lack the capacity for conducting scientific measurement. It's a largely qualitative way of viewing the world. They also live completely in the present. If they trade a particular good for another good, they consume that good immediately. They do not make long-term investments in housing, food, or tools. And I think this is somewhat similar to law firms and especially their accounting systems in that whatever trade and money comes through the door, it tends to be distributed very quickly. There is very little investment in research and development in law firms, and that's in part because the tax system encourages law firms simply to make distributions and does not provide adequate rewards for long-term investments in research and development and other tools that could help law firms in the long term. As you can see, the Biraha tribe is quite distinct, and they have certain characteristics, and in particular the language, that are very similar to law firms. Yeah. So all of these um, strategies that, that you mention in the book, in your experience as a researcher and educator, do you see law firms implementing these changes uh, in the structure of their firms, or do you think it's going to be a much more slow-moving process? The law firm culture is quite conservative. There are firms that are doing remarkable work in law firm innovation, but those firms tend to be relatively small and unique. Among the large firms, there are, I would say, five or six firms that are way ahead of other firms in terms of their emphasis and use of technology. In general, law firms are moving very slowly in the ways that clients expect them to be moving. I'm not optimistic that that's going to change very soon, but we do know that the new generations of attorneys, and in particular the millennial attorneys, are much more adept at and comfortable with technology. And the more millennial attorneys we have leading law firms, 
the greater are going to be our advances in technology. At this point, about half of all attorneys in law firms are millennial attorneys, but most of them are not in leadership positions. Over the next five to 10 years, we will see a very large number of older partners retiring in law firms, and we'll find that those ranks are filled by millennial generation attorneys. When that occurs, and it will occur probably just within a five to 10 year period, I think we will then start to see some very impressive and dramatic advances in innovation in general and technology in particular. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Well, hopefully those law firm leaders that are hesitant to change uh, read your book. (laughs) I I hope so as well. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss today? I think when we look at law firm leadership and innovation, it's sometimes overwhelmingly large. And it's difficult to figure out how to get our arms around change and, in particular, leading other attorneys within a firm. So I try to simplify the task by urging law firm leaders simply to focus on three categories of leadership. And those are client service, attorney meaning and purpose, and leadership. I think that when you back off from the legal services industry, we find that most of our challenges fall into one of those three categories, service, meaning, or leadership. And if we can conceptualize our task and our challenge as improving client service, providing attorneys with a greater sense of meaning, and assuming the major responsibilities of law firm leadership, when we focus on those three categories of challenges and responsibilities, it's easier for us to define what we need to do and how we will achieve it. Definitely. Where can our listeners reach you if they're interested in learning more about your work? Two ideas. One is the website for Decision Set which is www.decisionset.com. Another website is kaiserbooks.com, and that's K-I-S-E-R-B-O-O-K-S.com. Anyone interested is also invited to email me directly at rkaiser at decisionset.com. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Randy. Thank you for the invitation. You can purchase American Law Firms in Transition at the ABA web store. Go to AmericanBar.org slash products. That's AmericanBar.org slash products. If you enjoyed this episode of the Modern Law Library, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening service.